Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, here we go. Are you ready? I got to go. I got to run. I got to jump because we're going to cover 42 chapters of Job right now. All right. Cheryl's setting the clock up already. How many have been really enjoying the book of Job so far? You liars. I mean, oh my God. I mean, how many are you going to I have to keep reading this nonsense? Anybody, anybody been feeling like that? All eyes closed, heads bowed. All right. I mean, it can be a frustrating book. We're going to cover it all today. Keep reading the rest of it. I know it goes through to about Thursday, but we're going to cover all 42 chapters this morning. Say, Pastor, you can do it. You know I can, absolutely. So we're going to have fun with Job today. I hope that you get a revelation that will really help you, all right? So you're going to be blessed. All right, praise the Lord. I'm excited right now. I've got to help myself. All right, Job, here we go. Job 121. Job 121. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Hallelujah. If that's the verse you're hanging your hat on as the message in Job, blow it up, please. You know, uh, the Pioneer Press had an article in it a few years back down in the States, a, a lady Christian family, and they had five kids, and father came home, and his wife, she snapped, something happened, but she, she drowned all five of the kids, killed all the children. And at the funeral for the children, he stood up and he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And his wife went on trial. If you believe that, then God should have gone on trial too. Because if he did that, I don't know about you, but I know it's a nice song. Blessed be the name of the Lord, gives and takes. Every time we sing that, and when we have, I've had to stand up after and go, he does give and take away. He gives you beauty for ashes. He gives you the oil of joy for mourning. He gives you a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. But you got to trade. you got to be willing to trade. God doesn't give good stuff and then bad stuff. God always trades up. And see, this was Job, and this was his mindset after he went through an incredible difficulty. And there's some Christians who think, oh, well, everything happens for a reason, so just, just hang in there. There's not a reason for some things except it's diabolical, and it was sent to destroy you and to steal from you and to kill you. So when we read the book of Job, we really have to read it with understanding. And we got to be careful how we read the Bible. The Word of God says, be careful how you hear. Be careful the way you listen. And you need to be careful when you're reading the Word of God. But it's the Word of God, Pastor. Why would I have to be careful? Because like any other book, you need to properly interact with it and interpret it. Are you okay? How many are saying, you just messed with my favorite song? So get a new one. It's okay. Get a new one. All right, if what Job says is true, all good things come from God and all bad things come from God. God is the one who ultimately is responsible for evil. And there's that lovely phrase, people say everything happens for a reason. So there's a big crisis in people's minds out there in the world because they say, if you say God is love, and I saw it on your sign driving by, if God is love and everything comes from him, 
there's a lot of crazy stuff that if he's a loving God, yikes, I'm, I'm just human. I just got a, a little puny brain here. But if he's the God who knows all things, all powerful, almighty, and he allows all this nonsense to happen, and he's the one who allows it, the good stuff and the bad stuff, yuckadoo, is there another God out there? Hello! That's what they're saying all the time. We, we meet with people, talk with people. That's their big thing. I mean, if your God is so good, why is all this mess going on? And a lot of people, if God is so good, I've cried out to him, why am I experiencing so much pain? Why do I go through so much pain? If God is good, why am I going through this? Why doesn't he help me? So that's the question we're going to try and deal with today. <laughs> We'll be out by three. <laughs> theodicy. Say theodicy. This book is a theodicy. A theodicy, two words, justifying and God. So it's where we're, we're trying to justify God. God and righteous. God and righteous. So it's justifying God. So the vindication of divine goodness and providence in view of the existence of evil. So it's the, it's the vindication of divine goodness and providence in the view of the existence of evil. That's what this book is trying to do. It's a theodicy where it's trying to help us grapple with the fact, why does so much crazy stuff happen in the world and sometimes even to me? How do I make sense of this? And we as believers need to be able to make sense of it. If we can't explain the outworkings of the world and what's going on, Lord help everybody. Amen? Because it says the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. So we have to be a people who understand we know God, we know what time it is, and we know what's going on. Amen. Come on, say, help me, pastor. Three people. Good. Job is one of the Bible's poetic books. Say poetic book. The book, the Bible, the Bible is a uh, 66 books in there, 66 writings, and some of them are different. Some are historic books, some are prophetic books, some are, uh, you know, the gospels historic books, some, some books are, are epistles, they're, they're written specifically letters to places, others are poetic books, and there are a series of poetic books, and you'll, you'll have that, and you'll have something to talk about about that in your small groups to talk about all the poetic books and the purpose of the poetic books in the Bible. So Job is a poetic book. So it is a piece of poetry and it should be studied as that. It's a drama, it's a play, it's an ancient epic poem, and it has a clear specific structure. This does not diminish the historicity of Job, but is simply an acknowledgement that it is, and it does have literary nature. And in that literary nature, God has crafted a beautiful, beautiful book that was probably first of all passed on through oral tradition before it was even written down. So this beautiful thing that's written down, this amazing play, the creativity of God is on display here to teach us about the nature and the existence of evil and how God interacts with all those things. So, And he did it in the form of a beautiful piece of literature, which is a play. So, but we have to acknowledge it is poetic. It is a drama. It does have the nature and the attributes of an epic poem. That's straight up. That's the way it is. All right, give me another slide. Boom, bang. There it is. There is a type of literature. Dear mom, send money. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, now that's a piece of literature, but you would interpret that or a letter. If you, if you found an ancient letter written by somebody to somebody, you would treat that. You would look at that. You would study and analyze that totally differently. If you open, you know, your, your parents have moved on and you're looking at old literature and old writings and mom sent a letter to Aunt Ruth back when Aunt Ruth was still in the UK. And I read it. There's history there, but there's also personal connections. I would interpret that completely different than I would this right here. 
Now, I know it offends your eyes, doesn't it? Thank God that I don't look like that. I have a keg. Hallelujah. So, but I mean, if you're reading that, you're going to look at that as a different type of literature. Let me get it off the screen, screen because some of you women are already, you know, you know, wondering if you're backsliding. All right. Another type of literature, systematic theology, being massive volumes where people are systematically, and this is almost, it's almost heretical to do this because the God who cannot be explained, we're trying to explain him. But it's a good thing to seek him out. And there's massive volumes written and big, you know, $25 words and I need a dictionary to read 10 words on a page. And you're going to study that book completely differently than a letter, a magazine. Here's another one. Hamlet. How many read Hamlet when you're in high school? How many were supposed to read it, but you got Cole's notes instead? How many were thankful that you grew up in church and you were used to reading the King James Bible and it came just a little bit easier to you? All the others went, how do you understand the these, the thous, the thus? I go, because I read it every Sunday, so I'm used to that. I mean, you had an amen for your Sunday school teacher right now. But you know what? This, this poem, this, this piece of literature, is kind of more like Hamlet. It's more like that structure than it is like anything else. So it's a different book when you approach it. So we have to approach it understanding what type of literature it is. Say, thank you, pastor. All right, so in its structure, it has a prologue. It has a prologue. The prologue is a separate introductory section of literature, of the literary work that's unknown to the characters. Now, when you begin reading it, you see that the scene starts in heaven, and God is there in heaven, and all of a sudden, all the sons of God come, all those angels, high-ranking angels. There are tiers and ranks of angels. There really are. And, and those angels that are over, over things and govern high things, they came and manifest themselves, and all of a sudden, the devil crashed the party, and they had this dialogue, and something went on. All of this happened outside of the whole experience of Job and his buddies and all the rest of it. So this stands outside by itself. The characters that you're going to read about after it, they didn't see this part of the story. So if you saw it as a play, you would see that, then you would come to Job, and you would hear some of the things Job's saying. you say, Job, don't, in the prologue, you don't know what's going on. You, you're, you, you think God did this, but you don't know. I saw the prologue. It was the devil, Job. Job doesn't know, because he didn't see the prologue. So Job's living out of what his understanding is and his friends are coming to him and out of the scope of the way they see life, they're trying to help him, but all of them have a dumbed-down understanding of God. And so you're hearing them share a bunch of rubbish. They're grappling with the pain of their friend. They're trying to make sense of it because everybody wants to know why. How many are tracking with me so far? Be happy, grunt a few amens, it'll go faster. Stay with me. All right, so then there's the main narrative, and then there's the epilogue. And in the epilogue, that's the summary where the main character jumps in, and he wraps things up, and he says he's able to speak freely and bring it all together and make sense of it all and bring us all together. We go, oh, now I get it. So you need to read this thing as a whole. You need to understand it as it is a piece of literature. You need to interpret it properly. And in every single chapter, you need to look, who is speaking now? Who is talking right now? And you need to know who that person is because you could take a verse from somebody who's speaking rubbish and you go, oh, let me see, I need a verse. I need a verse from God. Let me see, open Job. Curse God and die. Oh, praise the Lord. That's in there. Okay, we're going to talk more about that. Can I get an amen? 
just for fun. Okay, here's the basic message. If you're going to fall asleep, all right, and you're not going to hang with me, let me just give you the message in short form, all right? God is good. The devil is bad. Let's close in prayer. For those who are going to nod off, the Lord bless you. Amen. All right. But now we're going to, we're going to for the rest of us who want to unpack this, we're going to carry on. Amen. All right, but that's it, really. God is good, devil bad. Please, if you get, please get that. If you don't know that and don't understand that, please get that deep in your spirit, that God is good. God is good all the time. And the devil's bad all the time. Boom, amen. How many just got a revelation right there? I've heard that before, but I never got it. Oh, God is good. Yeah, everything happens for a reason. No, it doesn't. Those people, that dam that just broke and, and, you know, all that chemical sludge went down and wiped out homes and families and, and homes where there were little children playing in the, in the yard, little innocent kids in the yard running around, you know, speaking Portuguese, you know. I don't know what they speak, you know, but they speak. And all of a sudden, this mudslide comes and washes them away. Well, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yes, yeah, say that to one of those folks right now. They'll punch you in the nose. Okay, just saying. Job chapter 1, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, he said, have you noticed my servant Job? Listen, he's the finest man in all the earth. He's the finest man in all the earth. Job, God's just bragging on Job. I mean, God literally put Job in this situation. He says, hey, I just want to brag on Job. You seen Job? He's pretty awesome. Yeah, here's what he said about, though, this is not, not Job's word about Job. It's not his friend's word about Job. This is God's word about Job. Here's what God said about Job. He is blameless. Well, God said it. Well, I don't think he is. Well, God said he is. You can take up your argument with him. That's fine. He is blameless. He is a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Job 1, 9 to 11. Satan replied, look, sure, yeah. Yeah, Job's, Job's good for a reason, though. I mean, he fears you for a reason. You put a wall of protection around him, his home, his property, everything. You prosper everything he does. But I tell you, reach out, take everything away. Take it away, and he'll curse you to your face. He said, God, oh, you know, you take care of these folks. You got this little project. This isn't free. This isn't an open relationship. I mean, these are your little pets. You take care of them. Of course they adore you. I mean, in a relationship like that, of course they're going to say, God, you're wonderful. I mean, but, you know, take away some of that. Let them go through a little bit of pain, and they'll curse you to your face. You know, sadly, there's a lot of people, they, they get the seed of God in them, and they go, oh, I love God, and he's so awesome. And all of a sudden, Phew. The cares of life, choke it out, boom. And they stop serving Jesus. That happens. The, the seed never, never manifests in their life because the cares of the world, the difficulties, the trials, things come along and people go, I can't take it. And the devil said, you know what? These folks are feeble. Give me a shot at them and I'll prove to you. They'll curse you to your face. So this really is Satan coming and saying, I challenge you, God. I challenge you. So Satan openly challenges God. He says, you fix this whole system so that man will devote himself to you. Let me, let me at your finest man and I'll show you how good this is and he's going to curse you. So and listen now. God said, okay, Satan, but this is on you. I'm not doing this. But he said, this is on you. And this is on you. So there's a big cosmic challenge that Satan wanted to do that. So let me ask you a question. Do you have to get permission from God every time you do something stupid? Lord, I want to, you know, not empty the dishwasher. I know Cheryl said that would be great if she got home and it was emptied and all put away. But you know what? I don't give a rip. 
And so, if you don't mind, could I just stay watching the hockey game and not empty the dishwasher? Lord, would that be possible? Yay, Father, let me do that. I didn't ask him if I could do that. I did it just because I felt like being selfish. And you know what? The devil didn't make me do it. God didn't make me do it. I did it all by myself. Every stupid thing that you do, every stupid thing that happens in the world, I'm using vernacular that we can all understand. Stupid. You don't have to ask God permission for that. Now, when you sometimes look at a prologue, now, when you see that Satan, God says, where have you been? He says, I've been out running around checking things out in the earth. Let's put some theology on that. God is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything because he didn't even know where Satan was. So I challenge the word of God that says he knows everything. There's a problem when you take a piece of poetic literature and you take something that is trying to reveal and manifest a point. See, if I took that and I decided to make a point of it or make a theological truth about it, I'd have to admit God doesn't know everything. But it could be this. God knew where he was, just like he knew where Adam and Eve were. And he said, where are you? So you got to be real careful stuff you do. People make doctrine out of things that weren't meant to be a doctrinal statement. Because where there's other doctrine, there's clear doctrinal statements on it. We understand that. So we got to be careful that we make principles out of things that are meant to be parables and teach a single truth. All right, so there are random actions by evil actors in the spiritual realm. Stuff happens that we don't see. We don't see the spiritual source of it, and we don't know the interactions around it. There are things going on. Remember when, you know, Peter, you know, the devil wants to take you out, but I've prayed for you. You know, he didn't say, but I've told him not to do it. He said, but I've prayed for you. And when you return, he says, restore your brother's. So there's, there's things going on. There, there's, there is a spiritual realm out there where it is still a full-on combat. We as a people, even creation itself, the creation that we live in, the one in, in, in the book of Genesis, that creation that God said is very good, what he did was very good, but if you look at it carefully, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of void, God said, let there be light. We were born into a massive cosmic struggle. And there is still in the unseen realm, there's a big struggle. But we're going to end real good. We're going to be in a big, good spot today because we're on a really good side of this struggle because we win in a big, big way. Amen? All right? But there are still random activities. There are things going on. Bad things are happening to good people every day. And the devil is a nasty, bad actor. And literally, if God took his hand off the whole thing, he'd kill everybody. Boom, because he hates you. And it's not because it's personal about you. He despises the one who created you. But thank God, God is good. Devil bad. Great big God, little bitty devil. All right, good. Say thank you, Pastor. All right. All right, Job 2, 7 and 9. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Oh, why was Satan in the presence of the Lord? I want to know. Send that question to Zach. I mean, in God's presence, it's altogether holy. There's, there's, you know, he can't look on evil. No sin can be before him. But Sleuthfoot, the evil one, the king of darkness. There he was in the presence of God. When God had his board meeting with all of his, you know, high-ranking officials, Satan crashed the party. 
And there he was in the presence of God. You know, God's not threatened by the devil. He's not threatened by your sin. He's not affected by any of that. He's going to love you, love you, love you, and he's going to fulfill his purpose for you. So here he is. He gets there in the presence of the Lord, and he struck, he struck Job with painful boils and the sole of his foot to the top of his head. And then I don't know why maybe he was thinking. I think the devil left the wife alive because she was on team devil. So... I just don't know. I'm not saying that about all wives because I know my wife's not on Team Devil. But, but the devil took away all his family, all his wealth, everything else, afflicted his body, but he left his wife alive. And uh, I don't know, but his wife was awesome. And when he was like, oh man, this is terrible, she said, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. So I think she was on Team Devil. But anyways, did you know sometimes that you can be on Team Devil? Do you know sometimes that's why like Peter Peter said, Lord, you are the Son of God, you are the Christ, you are and he went, Wow, you know, for the Father in heaven, you got a revelation from the throne room, Peter. Then the next minute he's saying, you know, Jesus, don't do that. He says, Get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, he straight up called Peter Satan. I mean, you gotta have a pretty good relationship to call your friend Satan. You know what I mean? That's what we do in pastoral leadership classes. Satan, Satan, Satan. We're still friends, right? But you've been following Satan, you evil thing. Just kidding. Anyways, but how intimate can we get, right? Into me, see. But he's into, Peter saw, he saw, you're, you're actually being moved by the devil. All right. So, so dumb things happen. You do dumb things. And you know what? Everything doesn't come from God. That's what I'm trying to say. Because God is, devil is. Some of you, you know, you got to pay attention, you know? You ready? Because it's, it's a test right now. You ready? God is devil is fantastic see that's good right there okay all right so uh job 2 13 they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights and no one said a word to job for they saw that his suffering was too great now we've entered into the main narrative and the manifestation of that little ordeal that took place in heaven we're seeing the outworkings now of what happened in that unseen realm and we're seeing man grappling with their present results so he's got three friends who come and they see job and when they saw him they just went oh wow and they just sat on the floor with him for seven days, like from today until next Sunday. They sat on the ground with him morning and night, and nobody spoke. Why? No one said a word for they saw his suffering was too great for words. Now, this weekend I went, last weekend I went to Nova Scotia, and I saw a friend that I hadn't seen for a long time. And actually, when I walked in the door, she was there. And when I walked in the door, I, it took me a while to recognize that it was her. And I actually thought it was a visitor, it was a guest. And then when I went over and she spoke to me and said something, I went, I literally, my breath was taken away. And I tried to gather myself quickly because she has gone through such a difficulty that she didn't even look the same. And I literally was like, and I had to gather myself that I didn't want to look that shocked. I didn't want to look like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? But I gasped because I was afraid to speak a word because I was so devastated by what I saw. You know, these three guys, they'd seen their friend before. And when they heard he was going through a hard time, they came and visited. And when they went, oh, my. And they just sat there for seven days, seven nights, and nobody spoke. I mean, this was horrible. This was heart-wrenching. This was a messy, messy situation. Does everybody feel bad yet? Bad situation, bad, bad stuff. All right, so uh, let's go to Job uh, 3, verse 1. It says, and Job spoke, and he cursed the day of his birth. Now, we've gone pretty rapidly from 
the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now we're all the way. I mean, we're only a few verses later. Job spoke and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, let the day of my birth be erased. Let the night I was conceived, let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost, even to God on high. Let no light shine on it. Wow, man. So his friends were all silent, but now all of a sudden, Job breaks the silence, and here's what he has to say. Now Job's comforters, they begin to interact with him. And this is Eugene Peterson. It's a long quote, but I'm going to read it to you. And this is what he says about Job's friends. You ever heard that phrase, Job's comforters? Hey, come on, you know what that means, eh? It's those people who show up when things are nasty. And, oh, hey, you're going through a bad time. They're going through a bad time, did you know? People actually celebrate when others go through hardship. Man. Anyway, here's what Eugene Peterson said. He said, there are Job's friends. The moment we find ourselves in trouble of any kind, people start showing up. They start telling us exactly what's wrong with us and we must do and what we must do to get better. Sufferers attract fixers the way roadkill attracts vultures. Sufferers attract fixers the way roadkill attracts vultures. You know why you're going through this, eh? I've been praying about it. And like the one, his, one, his first friend was like, tells him what the problem is, but then he adds to it. And it was, it was the spirit of God. It was, when, when I got this revelation, whoa, whoa, it was so intense. Like you read that chapter and this person actually adds to it. Like I was having a manifestation while God spoke to me to try to make what I'm saying to you have more evidence because I physically was, oh, it was like the wind of God blew. It was like, whoa, it's such an intense thing. I don't care what kind of experience another person had. I want the word of God. But some people try to take their nonsense and make it more, more powerful because they attach some nonsense to it. How are you? How many are tracking with me a little bit? How many are just going to take a nap? God is. Devil is. All right. Job's comforters, they come, fixers come, like roadkill attracts vultures. At first we are impressed that they bother with us and amazed at their faculty for answers. They got answers to everything. They know so much. How did they get to be such experts at living? More often than not, these people use the word of God frequently and loosely. They are full of spiritual diagnosis and prescription. It all sounds so hopeful, but then we begin to wonder, why is it that for all their apparent compassion, we feel worse instead of better after they've said their peace? Thanks for coming. Oh my God, get me a cheeseburger. I need something right now because I need a man. I just need a full tummy because that was horrible. Now, that's never happened around here. Think of some other person outside the room, you know, unless it is you. And then, then stop it. Let's deal with the characters. You ready? Eliphaz. Okay, Eliphaz was the first guy. He jumped in. Eliphaz wanted to talk about Job's difficulty, and his argument with Job and where he was at was based on an argument from experience. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because he said so. He said right here, stop and think. Do the innocent die? Now think about this. Now if you wrote this down as, oh, that was good. I'm going to memorize that verse. Please stop. Here's what he said. Stop and think. Listen, Job, I want you to stop right now. Quit your raging and your nonsense. And I want you to think because I'm ready to speak to you. You ready? All right. Do the innocent die? When have you seen the upright destroyed? My experience shows. What's he talking from? How many have an experience? How many of you experienced everything? 
How many know everything? How many have insight into everything? You know, your experience, you know what it is? It's your experience. And don't take your, you know, I had a problem with the tax people once. That's nice. There's some people who've had every experience you've ever had, they've had to. And they're ready to tell you, here's what you need to do now. We're not talking about any of you people, so please. There's no condemnation that those are in Christ. <laughs> I got 10 minutes to finish 50 minutes of stuff. All right. My experience shows that those who plant trouble, they cultivate evil, and the harvest is the same. A breath from God destroys them. They vanish in a blast of his anger. Well, thank you so much, friend. Praise God. I'm here scraping my boils with a piece of pottery. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. You know, you know. That was Eliphaz. It was an argument from experience. It's a false view of God. Be good and you won't suffer. Do bad and you get what you deserve. Now, if that's your way of seeing life, pastoral visitation right now, stop it. Because you know what? The innocent do suffer. Let me give you just one person. Jesus. Little kids in the playground when that Dam broke and washed them and covered them with mud. Innocent. Yes, pastor, they might have been innocent little children, but if you go back seven generations, they had an uncle that shook hands with a mason. Because we have to find a reason for everything. Let me give you the reason for everything. God good, devil bad. We're living in a Cosmic, chaotic battle that is full on. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but about principalities and powers and high places. There are destructive forces in the earth doing crazy things. And there are people, there are even corrupt companies who do crazy things. I'm not saying that I know anything about this, but you can have times where you have a corrupt company where they know the dam is breached and they know that something evil could happen soon and they do nothing about it. God didn't allow that. Nobody asked God permission if they could do that. Mankind can be stupid all by itself. So we don't have to assign some high spiritual you know, factor that I didn't explain to everybody why. I love this. God good, devil bad. All right. And you know, where does greed come from? Where does avarice, where does selfishness come from? Where do all these things come from? From the devil. And they're all from the pit of hell. They're all from him introducing the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil into the earth. And it's all right from the pit of hell. Say, Pastor, move on. Go quickly. All right. So uh, let's go to Bildad. Well, Psalm 103.10. He does not. Say, does not. Does not punish us for all our sins. All our sins. All our sins. And he does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Isn't that great? You deserve a boot in the head sometimes. I mean, that's an awful phrase, Pastor. But you deserve... Sometimes, Cheryl says, I got to change my vernacular. Maybe I got to write my sermons out longhand so I use better verbiage. But sometimes, you know, we would look and say, wow, I deserve that. You know, here's the truth. You probably think you do deserve that. But here's the gracious good news of the gospel. You don't get what you deserve. Here's what mercy is. You don't get what you deserve. Here's what grace is. You get what you don't deserve. <laughs> and that's the God we love. All right, so that's, it's a false view of God that this guy had. So if you're reading Eliphaz, you see at the top of it, Eliphaz is talking, saying, it's rubbish. In fact, I, I free you to write all over the top of it, rubbish, rubbish. All right? All right. 
you're released. Bildad, we got Bildad. Here's the next friend, Bildad. God himself, God himself at the end of the story says, you three friends are evil. He says that. So he says, you're right. He said, I'm angry at you. All right. Bildad, now he argues from tradition. He argues from tradition. Job 8, 4. Your children must die. They have sinned against him, so their punishment is well deserved. Thank God that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Where's the message of God? Who's going to stand up for God? Doesn't treat us, but here he is. How do you know Bildad spoke from tradition? Because he said so. Job 8, 8 to 11. Just ask the previous generations. Just pay attention to the experience of our ancestors. But those who came before us, they will teach you. I mean, come on. Can Apophis read pop up if there's no marsh? Can calamity show up if there's no sin? If there's calamity, there had to be sin. My niece got leukemia when she was four. Well, who sinned, Pastor? Remember in in John, I think it was nine, where the blind man came and they said, oh, who sinned? Him, his parents, who sinned? Because you see, blindness, any, any evil, any pain, there has to be a cause. And so we have to find out the cause because we got to blame them, blame their parents, blame somebody, blame the devil. Blame the devil. Blame the devil. But here he is, past generations. I mean, we've had teachers. We've had ministries. We've had, you know, forefathers. People have taught us stuff. I mean, here's what, here I quote now from Gobbledygook, written by Gooberhead. He said, So we can quote all kinds of people who've written about Job, and they must have been right. I mean, they were awesome. had great ministries. They were on TV. Thank God they're on TV, because you know when they're on TV, you can turn them off. It's so awesome. Okay. Jeez. Cheryl's giving me the hairy eyeball. It's so, all right. Previous generations pay attention to the experience of our ancestors, but those who came before us, they'll teach us. I mean, you got to have sin if you're going to have nasty results. You know, my little niece, four years old, got leukemia. And she was in Seattle, had a bone marrow transplant. And they said at 100 days, if she's 100 days free of cancer cells, then boom, we've made it. We're there. Do you know on day 99, day 99, cancer cells showed up. And she was such a neat little kid. She was powerful. I couldn't believe the presence she had. But, you know, she said to her dad, dad said, look, what do you want to do, Erica? Because it's, it's back. We've got to figure out what we're going to do. And she said, dad, I'm good. We did our best. Six years old. I said, Dad, we did our best. And you know what? I'm good. She said, I'm happy to leave this in God's hand. I'm okay. Whatever goes on. But I'm, I'm not going through that again, Daddy. And his dad was like broken. And he honored his little girl. And at six years old, she died. Because my brother shook hands with a mason somewhere on George Street in 1973. Well, we got to have a reason for that. You know what? Let me give you the reason. God's good, and the devil is bad. And you know what? Bad things happen to good people. Say amen. If you can't say amen, say oh my. And if you got your own philosophy, I love you and I respect you. And I'm just trying to help read the Bible. All right. Zophar, well, Luke 13, 4 to 5. And when the 18 people died, the tower fell on them. Jesus said, were they worse, worse sinners than those in Jerusalem? Because people came to him and they always wanted to tell Jesus, you know, why'd this happen? Why'd that happen? Why'd this happen? He says, so you presume that because those people, the tower, they're just walking down the road, a tower falls on them. Well, they had to be evil. 
And Jesus says, what, is, is that the way you view it? I mean, no, he said, I tell you, unless you repent, you'll perish too. And what he's saying is it had nothing to do with them. Why do you keep on trying to assign some evil, you know, issue to every bad thing that goes on? Amen. So Jesus refuted that mindset. Can I get an amen? How many are enjoying this so far? Three people. All right. Zophar, we got Zophar. I got to move faster. Zophar is religious performance. Zophar's religious performance. He comes, and I'm going to help you, Job. With, and it's not bad stuff. It's actually true stuff. But it's religious stuff. And it's truth, but truth poorly applied. But here's what he says. Here's the, Job, if only you would prepare your heart and lift up your hands to him in prayer, get rid of your sins and leave your iniquity behind you, then, then, if you would do X, Y, Z, if you would check these boxes, if you would go ding, 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 then God would finally respond to you. So God is up there, and you know, he was just about to give you your breakthrough. You had done two, check one, check two. Okay, they got three. They've checked on box number four. They checked box number five. One more to go. Oh, can't touch them, can't heal them, can't help them. They missed box six. You know, the worship service was going somewhere today. It was right there. You know, it was really happening, you know, and I felt God coming in the room. And then Wayne stood up and sang. I don't know what that was. Like, we were just getting somewhere. And, and you know, I, I felt like we needed a few more minutes. And what Wayne did was great, but it just needed to cook a little longer. And we think there's some, some creepy, weird equations in the spirit that we got to overcome God's reluctance to love us and care for us. And then we form all philosophies and all kinds of books and write stuff about how to get your breakthrough, you know, in three easy steps. Uh, here's your breakthrough in one step. Jesus died for you. He was buried. He is risen again. He sat on high. You have broken through where the spirit of the Lord is. There's emancipation from every form of bondage. But the religious person comes, that's true, and you need to pray, you need to fast, you need to check some boxes, you need to read the Bible this year in 365 days. Are you hearing me? Please hear me. Okay. Then your face will shine. Then it will happen to me. Then it'll get good. So truth, not truth, truth, but not truthfully applied. My response to your calamity is a wrong application that will increase the misery of your friend. So you're saying I haven't been holy enough. You're saying I'm not close enough to God. You're saying if only I was more intimate with him. You're saying, you know, maybe I missed church last week. You're saying if only I had gone to a small group. You're saying if I'd only checked these boxes. Yes, if you'd have checked those boxes, you would be problem free. Job 27, 5 to 7. Here's what Job said. I will never concede that you are right. Because here's what happens. When people talk to you in their self-righteousness, it doesn't help you. It makes you angry. I will never concede that you are right, Job said. I will defend my integrity until I die. I will maintain my innocence without wavering. My conscience is clear as long as I live. That's what he said back to his friend. I mean, Job's having a bad time, and these are the best friends who could come. I mean, if these are your friends, who needs enemies? Let's move on, Pastor. Give me a slide. Job's descent. Now here, Job just goes, he goes, I mean, he started with blessed be the name of the Lord, and he's, now he's just going sideways. Job 9, 22 to 24. Innocent or wicked, it's all the same to God. That's what I say. He destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When a plague sweeps through, he laughs at the death of the innocent. If it isn't him, if he's not the one, who is it? And who is? You're watching this guy, this is taking him south. Now, you have to understand, all of this is after his calamity. These aren't things he spoke before his calamity. These are things he spoke after his calamity because before the calamity, we heard God himself say, here's what I think. God himself, who has perfect insight into everything, God himself said he is blameless. He's the finest man. 
But this finest man going through this, his dear friends trying to help, he went sideways. Give me a couple more. Here we go. Job 21, 15. Who is the Almighty and why should we obey him? What good will it do for us to pray? Because you see, these guys are slamming him, beating over the head. He just can't take it. Job 30, 20 to 21. I cry out to you, oh God, but you don't answer. I stand before you. You don't even look. You become cruel towards me. You use your power to per- prosecute me. Hey, persecute me. Do you see this pretty horrible stuff, right? And you've been reading this all week, right? And just enjoying every word, amen? Haven't you been wondering, i got to make sense of this stuff? Or have you just been saying, I hope we can get through this quickly? Well, that's why we're going to preach the whole book today here. Okay, so let's, let's look at Job's hope, though. I love this, because Job, in the middle, he had good, lucid thoughts. He said, if only there was a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. And the, the authorized version says a daysman, that somebody would schedule a hearing and impose his authority. I need help. I need someone to represent me. I mean, I don't know why this came. You guys aren't helping me. I mean, this is miserable. If only there was somebody that could mediate this, somebody with authority, somebody could set an appointment and deal with this situation for me. He's crying out for a savior. Here's another one. Boom. Job 19, my favorite verse. I use it at funerals a lot. Look at it. It says, but as for me, here's a guy scraping his boils with a piece of pottery whose wife said curse God and die, whose best friends are miserable. Here's this guy in that kind of pain, pain that you wouldn't even speak for seven days because it's so horrible. Here's what he said. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives and he'll stand on the earth at last and after my body, this scum pit, after it decays and goes to nothing, I know that yet in my body, I will see God. I'll see him for myself. Oh, I will. And I know that I will see him with my own eyes and I, even in this messy, scummy pit of my own pain and agony and misery, I am thrilled with the thought. Man, that's so good right there. I love that. I love that. What an amazing statement in the place that he was in. So Job did have some incredible statements, and he said some incredible things. Now, another guy comes on the scene, a guy named Elihu. Elihu, same root as Elijah. And I think Elihu was someone to prepare the way. A younger man who's been watching all this and hearing all this, and he's disturbed by Job. He's, he's disturbed by his three friends. He's like, man, you guys got a messed up picture of God. You got a messed up picture of your situation. And Elihu was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because Job justified himself rather than God. See, sometimes you go through hardship and if you don't listen to your accusers, you step into a place where, I don't deserve this! God, what's your problem? And you can get into self-justification. Now, maybe it's not a sickness or a disease, but maybe it's a person who just really harms you and causes you pain. And you feel like, I'm better than this! How dare they do this to me? I can't believe it! It's where we step into self-justification and self-righteousness and say, how dare people treat me like that? Hello? This happens. I mean, it's not just physical pain. It's not just, you know, it's, it's relational. It's, it's financial. It's, it's just when calamity comes in any aspect of your life, we got to be careful that we don't step into a place of self-righteousness where we say, I don't deserve this! But that's what was going on with Job. Give me another slide. Job 33, 19 to 28. If there's a messenger, oh, this is Elihu. Listen, listen, if you have not been paying attention for a while, pay attention again. 
Pinch your neighbor and say, it's time. Come on, pay attention because this is good right here. Here's what Elihu says. He says, if there is a messenger for him, a mediator, and who? If you read a little bit before, he's saying your cheekbones are sticking through your face. I mean, you are taken down to the pit. You're in a place of absolute total despair. That person, if that we're talking about that person, here's what. That person, there's a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand to show him his. Look at the word his. It's capitalized. It's capitalized because it's not showing Job his righteousness, but showing God's righteousness. Somebody to show you God's righteousness. You need to see in your situation, in the middle of your pain, you got to get a revelation that God is righteous. And you need to get a picture of his righteousness, faithfulness, goodness, his righteousness towards you. Look what he says. To show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to small h him. Who's the he? The big h is God. God is gracious to him. You're in a messy spot. You're in a pit. You're broken. You got nothing. What do you need to see? He's a righteous God. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. And he's going to come and he's going to be gracious to you. And he's going to pick you up and deliver you from going down to the pit. So no matter what it looks like, you can say, I trust you. It's not done. Here's more. I have found a ransom. Same passage. I have found a ransom. And listen what he's saying this to Job. His flesh shall be as young as a child's. His flesh will be the one who holds on to his righteousness and embraces the download of his grace will have his flesh restored like a child's. Yes! He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God. He will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy. For he restores to man his. He restores to man, not my righteousness, not little h righteousness, but he restores to me righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. Hallelujah. Please stop running around. Sit in your chairs. I have to finish the sermon. Oh, that's not happening. It's lights in my eyes. Okay. Ransom. Let me show you. Ransom. This word ransom. This word ransom is to cover, to purge, to make atonement for. To cover with pitch. Where'd you see that before? The ark. Same word. The ark was covered inside and out with the atonement. Once you get in Christ, you are at one with him. You can't get any closer. And you're in there because the atonement wraps you in every single way. Inside, outside, everything is wrapped in the atonement. And here's what Elihu says. I have found atonement. I have found at one man. I have found. Job cried it if only there was a mediator. And Elihu comes and says, I have found a ransom. I have found at one man. I have found that God, he is righteous. And his righteousness is a gift to you. And he will heal you and restore you. You had to figure that Job said, where have you been? Oh, my goodness. I got stuck with these three clowns. Yikes. But he shows up. Give me another slide because we're moving very slowly. God approaches in a storm and he says, storm. Now, that's kind of scary because, you know, storms come. You're thinking, oh, no, here comes God. And it's not pretty. But he comes in a storm and he doesn't focus on Job's weakness. Two major questions. Can you grasp my greatness, Job? And do you know that I can destroy your enemies? 
That's what he's trying to tell them. Those are the two basic themes of, of the epilogue that God brings. He reveals his great power and he declares his ability to destroy all your enemies. All right, move on. Give me another slide. Job 38, 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have any understanding. Man, you don't even understand how awesome I am. And I'm going to talk about how amazing I am. I'm not going to talk about what a loser you've been. I'm going to talk to you about how great I am. That's how God approaches a difficult situation. He'll tell you, I am a great God in your place of need. And then he'll tell you another thing. He's 41. He says, can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? Your problem's coming from the pit of hell. Leviathan, you read the last verse, it's clearly he's the king of all of pride. And you see, who is it? It's Leviathan. He's the devil. Can you... Can you put a hook in, his, in him and draw him out or snare him, his tongue with a line which you can lower? Can you put a reed through his nose? Can you pierce his jaw? Listen, I'm a really good God and I can deal with your enemy who's been really, really bad. That's the message. That is really straight up simply the message. Give me another slide. Job 42.3, you asked. You asked who is this? The question this is Job now. Job is now after this encounter with God. He's saying, you asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. Clearly, I didn't have all the facts. I should have just shut up. Now, sometimes when you're in a bad situation, if you're the friend visiting, don't try to figure it out for the poor person. Just love them. Just tell them God's faithful and he's good. Just pray with them. But don't tell them what to do or tell them why it's happening or analyze the whole thing for them. You know, God comes and says, Job, I didn't know what I was talking about. Clearly, don't give me another slide. Job 42, 5 and 6. I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. I sit in the dust and ashes and I repent. What he's saying is now I align myself with the truth. I was, I was just a marble head before. I can't believe I did what I did. You know, now I thought I knew you. I heard about you, all that stuff. And now I've seen you with my own eyes. You know what? I'm just going to align myself. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to be quiet. And I'm going to reorient myself to who you are. Give me another slide. 42 verse 7 in the ESV. It says, after the Lord had spoken these things, this word to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, and he said, my anger burns against you and your two friends. So if you think I was being hard on those guys, I really wasn't. God says, I was angry with you guys. My anger burns against you, you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. That's why you can say rubbish. They didn't preach, approach that situation properly. They didn't get it. And he said, rubbish. Now, that word what is right is the word kun in the, in the Hebrew. And that word is, see, Job was right. He says, Job was right. And yet you read a lot of the stuff Job read, the stuff we read today, Job was totally wrong in the stuff he said. So how could Job say, God say, Job was right? Well, he says, Job was kun. Why? That word kun means to align with or be straight, to speak from your gut, to be brutally honest. I've had situations with people, they share with me what's going on, and I just go, uh, I, I think as the pastor, they're looking for me for an answer. And I said, I'm just really angry. What are you angry about? I'm angry that this is happening to you. I'm so mad that the devil is trying to get in here and mess with your life. I am so angry. I'm so frustrated with you, but I know God is good. And I know he's going to bring this through. And I know if we keep our eyes on him right now, we're going to come out the other side, blast, blast, blast. Amen. Tap, tap on the clock. Another slide. We're wrapping up. Job 42.10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. So all restoration. He hung through it, stayed with it. And Job, God said, Job did right in this whole thing. Actually getting ugly and screaming and saying, I don't like this. God's not offended by that. 
David said, God, where are you? And he's a man after God's own heart. There's times you get in a situation, you go, this is terrible. And you're right, it is terrible. But you know, in that terrible situation, trust God. Speak words of hope in your situation. Give me another slide. Here we go. All right, so this was all, here it is. We got before cross, after cross. Now, we also have to understand that robe was written before the cross. Robe, robe, Job, Job was written before the cross. So before the cross, the righteous have faith in the promise. So before the cross, even as Job said, I believe that my Redeemer lives. I believe that there's a ransom. After the cross, we believe in the finished work of the cross. We believe that Jesus did it all. Before the cross, they believe something is going to happen, happen, happen. After we look back and we say, it happened, it happened, it happened. So it's a whole different way now that we apply this as believers in a new covenant, in a new covenant context, because now we believe in the performance of God. Job was hoping for the promise. He was believing for the promise, but we live in the fullness of the promise. Give me another slide. Boom. Colossians 2, 13 and 15. He's made us alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. He disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. Hallelujah. So you know what? There are random actors out there, but I'm never a victim. And not only, I don't have to wait for God to manifest authority in a situation. God says you can now interact with the situation in the name of Jesus, and you can command mountains to be thrown into the sea. If the devil comes at you in one, he'll go in seven. Speak my word, declare things, and you can cause the authority of heaven to be released on your behalf. There's powerful things for us. Give me another slide. Boom. John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. But my purpose is that you would have life, rich and satisfying life. So I think it's in, in 1 John 5, but it says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest. Was he manifest? Was Jesus manifest? For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the works of the devil. So folks, we're not victims. This side of the cross, we actually are very powerful. We got incredible authority. If bad things happen, don't try to analyze and figure it out and, you know, figure out the specks of dust, how many angels are on a pin and divide it by your postal code. Skip it. Just declare God's goodness and take authority in the name of Jesus. Amen? I mean, we're mighty. Job went through bad stuff. Bad stuff happens to good people. But this side of the cross, we are never victims. And we should never get into that false, nasty analysis of his three friends and go down and say, well, you know, there's sin in your life, brother. Yeah, well, back at you. Well, let's lift up Jesus. Let's take authority. Let's realize that I stand today not in my performance. I stand today in his performance. I don't stand in my righteousness. I stand in his righteousness. And I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. God good? Devil bad. God good? Devil bad. God good? And God is good all the time. I got one more slide. Come on, stand up with me. I'm just really glad I've got lunch ready for me next door. So, <laughs> Come on, raise your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. That was, that was you know, that was, I just did 42 chapters of the Bible. And that's, you know, they would take, I, when I took that course in Bible school, it was four months. Four months. And you just got it in like 50 minutes. Wow. And you know, it's a book that's been mistaken a lot and misunderstood a lot. But there's a lot of really wonderful things in there. There's things yet for God to teach us and to speak to us through. But I want you to walk away really understanding that God is good to you and he loves you and he cares for you. Don't get sidetracked with the nonsense. Just make sure you know God is good and he loves you 
You know, the devil is bad and bad things happen to even you, even to good people. And sometimes you do, you know, do dumb things and there's consequences to your sin. If you sin, there's consequences. That's not because God wanted it or even the devil wanted it. You just were entrapped by your own disobedience. But you know what? He never treats us as our sins deserve and you can turn and you can cast that on Jesus. You're good to go. Amen. Father, we bless you today. We love you today. We honor you today. I just pray, Father, that this word, Lord, put a divine filter on it and may what you desire, what you delight, the revelation you want to be written on hearts, I pray in Jesus' name that that and that alone would clearly be written on people's hearts today. Thank you for your word. We're reading your word. Thank you for what Gord said, that, you know, as we're, as we're reading the word, we're going to have encounters with you, and our lives are going to be transformed. Our lives are going to change. We're going to experience fresh realms of your grace and your glory because we're going to encounter Jesus everywhere in this book. I know that my Redeemer lives. Hallelujah. There is a ransom. There is a mediator. There is atonement. We thank you, Jesus, that we see you. We see you all over the book of Job. So we thank you that you are my Savior. Thank you that you are my Redeemer in Jesus' name. Now just kind of all hands down, all eyes closed, everybody praying. If you're here today and you, you need to have that, you're crying out in your life like, I need a mediator, I need a Savior, I need somebody. You've never, you know, made that step of saying, Jesus, be Lord of my life. I want you to do it before you go today. I want you to give Jesus, give him a chance to, to come in and dwell with you be your best friend and, and manifest the life of God. So right now, in Jesus' name, if that's you, I'm going to count to three. And at three, just throw up your hand really high so I can see it. There's nobody looking around. Nobody matters. Just you. But if you say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, when I count to three, put up your hand. You ready? One, two, three. All the way up. Very high. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Lift your hand very high so I can see it. Thank you. Okay, you can put your hands down now. But we're just going to pray together. And you pray. You put your hand up. Pray out loud. We're all going to pray with you. But pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving yourself for me. Thank you for reconciling me to my Father. I declare that I am forgiven, that I am healed, and that I am free. And I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. So Holy Spirit, come on in testify that I am a child of God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for coming in my life. Be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you had your hand up. Somebody might approach you, talk to you, tap you on the shoulder. We just, it's not, a, it's not an event. It's not a, just a decision. It's a walk with Christ. We don't want you to join the church, but we want you to fully unpack what it is to be a child of God. So, so somebody may chat with you later. All the prayer teams, can you come to the altar now? Whoever's ministering on a prayer team, come on up. Sorry I took a little bit longer today, uh, but I hope that was okay. I just want to say there's no service tonight, so you can have the rest of the day off. There's usually not a service tonight. I'm just pulling it up. Hey, you know what? So many great things happen at the altar. So many wonderful things. Blind eyes are open. Deaf ears are open. Words of wisdom, understanding, direction. I had two girls, two girls from India last night. They walked out and they said last week stuff prayed for at this altar. Both prayers were answered. A, a, an immigration thing and then an opening for a job. Both things that they came for prayer for. Both. They said, Pastor, I had to testify. God did it. And she said, I did the one test. 150 questions. I didn't even know what was going on. And she said, I said, God help me. She says, I got 90%. I was like, wow, prayer at the altar makes you look smart. 
So come on, you need prayer for anything. Come on. And love you, love you, love you. Pastor Cheryl's really sorry that I took so much time. All right. And if you're here for the first time or you're part of that guest group that we've invited to get to know us a little bit better, please go right over to uh, the room over there through the doors to my right, your left. We want to meet you there and have some time with you, okay? Altars are open. Come on, get some prayer. Here we go.